Today, we've got a special guest, and many of you guys already know him. I've known him all of his life. He's my brother, Jake, and many of you guys know that um, Jake and Nikki are back for a, a short season with us, and um, God has been using them in many different ways, uh, really across the world. And they've been over in Thailand working with missionaries throughout the, uh, throughout the world, really, in different capacities. And so I'm not going to tell all of what God has been doing through them and what God is revealing to them. I want him to have an opportunity to do that. Uh, but would you guys welcome my brother Jake Phillips as he comes and shares the word this morning. We're both wearing green today. I don't, we didn't coordinate that at all. Uh, yeah, feels good to be here. It's been a very long journey to get back here, um, but I'm looking around. I can actually see through these lights. I see so many people I know so well. Uh, it feels like home because this is home. So yeah, it's good to be back. My name is Jake Phillips. If you've been here a while and you've heard many of Sean's stories about us growing up, uh, you know a little bit about my background. Most of those stories are true. So I can attest to that. My wife, Nikki, is here on the front row, and I've got some, some Viking-sized boys that are running around here somewhere, and, and my daughter's here too, but I'm not going to point them out, so... But uh, as we grew up, um, one story you may not have heard, you know, we would, we would always play all the time different things, and, and Sean was usually like the pastor, and I was the cop, so I don't know how we knew, you know, when we were 12 years old, but that's what happened. So I did 20-plus years in law enforcement here locally, <clears throat> and... Um, did a lot of, that was my focus for a long time. I did a lot of things in law enforcement, had uh, a lot of interesting experiences. I also dealt with a lot of people that were very angry, people that had a lot of hate in their heart, and I was witness to a lot of evil, you know, why I did that job. And at some point, uh, that begins to affect you personally. And at some point, you go to God and say, you know, what is the solution to, to all of this? And ultimately, I came to realize that uh, Christ and the gospel is the solution, no matter whether you're talking about stuff that's happening here locally or you're talking about all these world events that are happening, really bringing the gospel into things. That's the solution. And so I turned my focus towards ministry. And really, this is what I'm going to be talking about today as we talk about putting on the armor of God and I moved overseas. We moved to Thailand. We do uh, a ministry where we help uh, the gospel presence and gospel workers, whether that's local believers or missionaries, exist and hopefully thrive in dangerous environments and dangerous places, because that's oftentimes where the need is the greatest, uh, but it's challenging and it's hard to do. So we'll help people prepare to go to those places and we'll help people when they get in trouble in those places, whether that's a, an arrest, a kidnapping, it's just civil unrest, war zones, things like that. We're trying to help people uh, go to those places and thrive in those places. So that's a little bit about what we do globally. <clears throat> um, but with that said, based on my background, because my background is largely uh, tactical in nature when you're talking about law enforcement and things like that, 
So I used to wear armor all the time doing SWAT stuff, and people have told me, oh, you should preach on the armor of God. And, you know, the reality is carrying a gun, doing that type of work doesn't really prepare you to teach about wearing the armor of God. Uh, it's, it's not a direct translation. And so, however, with that said, as I've went places and I've taught people some practical aspects of protecting themselves in light of doing ministry, um, and as I've moved my family overseas and we've went through those challenges, uh, I really have come to find that it's very important to put on the armor of God. That is a part of what we teach and we help people do is that spiritual aspect of it also. Um, and in fact, it's, it's been critical in many things. And so I do feel like God has shown me some things uh, about how to put on the armor of God in the midst of a spiritual battle with everything that we're doing. So with that said, I'm really excited to be teaching about this subject. And we're going to dig into the Word. We're going to look at Ephesians uh, 6, 10 through 12. I'm not sure if the whole verse is up on here, but I'm going to read the whole thing regardless. <clears throat> and it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, when, you know, I used to read that and think, you know, as a cop, I'm like, well, I wrestle against flesh and blood all the time, you know. What are, what are we talking about here? We don't, I mean, and the reality is, I mean, we do live in a fallen world. I mean, you, you may have to wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not telling you you won't. But we have to keep in mind who Paul's talking to and what he's talking about. And, and ultimately, as I said, even what I learned in law enforcement, ultimately this is a spiritual battle. You know, because even though Satan will use evil men to do evil, uh, ultimately it's the spiritual battle that needs to be won. But Paul is talking specifically uh, to the church in Ephesus. So Paul, you know, did... You can read about it in Acts 19. He did two years of ministry there, <clears throat> saw many people come to Christ. He has a, a church there, and now Paul is writing to them um, while he's in chains. And so I want to look at Ephesians 1.1 because this is who Paul's talking to when he's talking about we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And this is the, the first verse here, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints are in, who are in Ephesus, and this is the part I like the most, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, because he's defining very specifically who he's talking about. These are people that are interested in doing spiritual battle because they're interested in kingdom-minded things, and he's talking about uh, those that are faithful in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> So if I say to somebody, if you tell somebody, yeah, I'm a Christian, what does that mean to them? I mean, what does it mean to be a Christian in 2023, right? That's subjective because there is such a thing as cultural Christianity. There's a lot of people out there that claim to be Christians that aren't really living it out. They're not really interested in being a disciple of Christ. 
Uh, we do, uh, since the Ukraine war has started, uh, I've been there three times. The second time I went, I was training Polish uh, volunteers that were going into Ukraine. <clears throat> and we came over there to support a believer who, who was faith-based in doing this, but he had some people with him that were interested in the humanitarian side that weren't really faith-based. And it was his own little ministry to, to minister to them as they went and served together. So when I get up to speak, he says, I'm getting ready to teach on Bible stuff. And he said, actually, looking at the crowd, he goes, a lot of these guys are unbelievers, and they're actually hostile towards the gospel. Okay, thanks. And the reason is, it's, you know, if you look at Eastern Europe, how many of these wars and things have been fought under the pretext of uh, religion, right? So, I mean, even Putin claims to be a Christian. And he's part of his claim for, for this war in Ukraine is, is we're going to reunite the Russian Orthodox Church. So you can see how just the term Christian in some cultures, it's like, ah, uh, what does that mean? So, so much so that when we go certain places, we will say like, uh, well, we're followers of Christ. We're, you know, we're disciples of Christ, trying to distinguish ourselves against cultural Christianity and what that means in their minds. So I like this because Paul is, <clears throat> Paul is defining who he's writing to. So when we talk about putting on the armor of God, these are, this is for disciples. These are kingdom-minded people. And Paul is doing this in a very dangerous world um, where there's a lot of resistance towards the gospel and there's a lot of hate and evil and things going on. I mean, that's the world that we live in today. It's, it's stayed the same. So now let's talk about the armor of God. Let's look at Ephesians six thirteen through 18. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So again, my background, I'm, I've been issued all this gear, I've worn all this gear, uh, but it doesn't mean I understand how to, how to use it in a spiritual context. But what I have seen serving overseas, uh, I've seen how critical this is. And the latest example of this uh, is the situation that just happened in Israel. So with what's going on in Israel, uh, because I'm in Thailand, because I'm in that time zone, as soon as this attack started from Hamas on October 7th, I began following the news even while everybody was asleep over here. So that's a part of my job is to know what's going on because when something happens like that on a mass scale, there's a potential that people are going to call in crisis that are gospel workers serving in this area and it becomes what do we do? Do we stay in our house? Do we shelter in place? Do we try to get to the airport? Um, you know, is it safe to stay in the country? And you, you begin doing those crisis-type calls. <clears throat> so beginning to understand what's going on and, and all of that. 
And so what this accumulated into for me was, okay, this is a, this is a mass event that has the potential to affect ministry in this country, um, so I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to go uh, to Israel. So on October uh, 13th, I, I went to Amman, Jordan, and I did a land crossing uh, into Israel, and I began doing the work uh, that I did while I was there. So the work that I was doing, um, I'm going to Ben-Gurion Airport, I'm trying to figure out the government-assisted flights, I'm trying to figure out how the airlines are working, communicating with people that are trying to figure out, should we show up at the airport, should we not, um, what do we need to do? <clears throat> I'm making friends with the taxi drivers so I can understand what's going on at all of the, uh, the land crossings into Jordan. And then I'm also, once I'm figuring all that out, uh, I'm connecting with missionaries that are serving that have decided, you know what, it's, it's dangerous, the threat is elevated, but what we see is ministry opportunities and we want to know how to stay in light of these new threats. So I'm doing trainings for them to help prepare them for that. So that's the work that I'm doing. <clears throat> and in the process, I'm staying with a couple. And this is a, this is a couple from Oklahoma that we have known because they had went through our training in the past. So I'm in, I'm in Tel Aviv, I'm at their house, and I'm talking to this girl from Oklahoma, <coughs> and she has a, uh, I don't know, maybe a nine-month-old baby that's with her, and the fact is the baby doesn't have a passport yet. Their passport appointment was like in a week coming up, so they couldn't leave even if they wanted to, but they've already decided, you know what, we see a ministry opportunity. This is the work that we're going to do um, as these people are displaced. We're going to uh, help house them and create housing, and we're going to do ministry. But even in the middle of this, uh, there's a rocket attack right where we're at. So when that happens, when Hamas launches a missile from uh, Gaza, uh, Israel has this Iron Dome system, so it will detect it, it will figure out the trajectory of the rocket, and then it'll send up its own rocket up to intercept it. <coughs> and so, but the audible alarm goes off, we all move in with her and her husband and the baby, and my son Jordan was with me. We move into a little room while the alarm's going off, and then 30 seconds later, boom, you hear it intercepted out of the sky, right? So this had just happened. We come back in, and this is where we talk about the armor of God. Uh, she tells me in the middle of all this, you know, we're staying, we want to do ministry. Many of our friends have left to go fight because they're in the reserves and they've been called up. Um, I have to go attend a funeral um, here in a few days. I don't know what to say based on someone who was killed in the attack. <clears throat> and she tells me, I'm really struggling with hate in my heart towards Hamas. You know, in light of all of this, with the threat to her baby, uh, with her friends being gone, everything that's happened, she's following the news. She's like, I'm really struggling with hate. Like, what do I do with that emotion as I'm serving here as a missionary? And I, and I told her what I learned through doing police work. And I said, what, what we have to do here is we have to put on the armor of God. And for me, oftentimes, that starts with the helmet of salvation. Because when I, 
put on the helmet of salvation, um, I'm able to see myself better, who I am, and um, what God has done for me. Because if we read Ephesians 2.1, it says, And you were dead in the trespass and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince and powers of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So when we understand, you know, we've been saved by grace. And we understand um, the reality of our own salvation. It helps us have love for other people. You know, I, as a policeman, it's really easy to look at other people and say, I'm a better person than that person. I'm, I'm a better father. I'm morally superior to this person. Um, I'm right and they're wrong. And all of those things may be true. But when we understand our salvation, we understand that without Christ, I'm no more righteous than these people. And so that is, is an important aspect because that can take us from a position of pride to a position of humility. And it can take us to a position of hate to see them as God sees them from a position of love. Because as he's saying, even in our trespasses, um, he was rich in mercy towards us. And it can take us from a position of being cold towards somebody or apathetic to having compassion. And so if we don't have that helmet of salvation, um, we're not going to be very effective in ministry because we're going to be cold to people. We're not going to have compassion. We're not going to have the mind of Christ towards people. Um, we're going to get off in our own pride, in our own uh, and we're going to maybe let hate take over, right? <clears throat> so I think that's a critical aspect. And then I want to look at the belt of truth, because as we have this compassion for people and we want to help people now, um, that can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. <clears throat> and I grew up just thinking that, okay, this is my mind of what a, what a missionary is, and you're looking at how many people come to Christ, you know, how many people raise their hand and, and um, you know, under this ministry that have come to Christ, how big of a church have they started? <coughs> and thinking of other things like maybe medical missions as being less important, right? Like, oh, you're doing medical missions, but, you know, what does that really, what does that really mean? And I wasn't, I was maybe a little bit even biased against medical missions as being less important. And then the problem was uh, I became a client. And after I became a client, I became a big fan of medical missions. So, because I was really deep in the Burma jungle and it's really hard to get there. I mean, it's really hot. 
you have to backpack in. It's, it's very hard to exist there, just staying clean, um, <coughs> sanitation. And even before I got there, my son Hunter, uh, he was a client. He had a heat stroke. They had to take him down to the river and dunk him in, bring him up to this bamboo hut where this American doctor spends four months of his, year, four months of his time every year serving, living in very rugged conditions. Um, and it's a talented guy. I mean, he's been through the jungle school of medicine. He's out there delivering babies and dealing with landmine victims <coughs> and helping my son deal with his issues. And, and now I become a patient because uh, where I was, it was raining a lot. The monsoon had started. I was climbing up the mountain to try to find a, a bamboo so I could cut it down to have a, a walking stick and not slide down the mountain every morning. <clears throat> but because of, it's the jungle, I'm trying to keep my feet dry, my shoes are drying out, so I'm wearing flip-flops as I'm climbing up the, the mountain with my machete in my hand. And I thought, I'm going to fall down, you know. And I thought, oh, that's okay. I've got, I've got 20 years of judo. I'm a professional at falling. I'm not going to hurt myself. And I, and I slipped, and I fell perfectly. I mean, my, my judo instructor would be proud of me. The problem is when I stood up, I had ants, like, biting my arm. And all I did was this. Slice my finger. Now, now I'm getting three stitches in the jungle, and, which turned into an infection, which turned into needing antibiotics. And I thought, man, this, um, this ministry of doing medical stuff is pretty important, right? And on top of that, he's delivering babies and doing all of this stuff. And so it changed my perspective. But <clears throat> I don't care. I mean, if you're doing like service ministry where you're mowing people's yards and you're doing these things, medical missions, all that stuff is very important. But when we look at the belt of truth, at the same time, if we're not bringing the truth of the gospel into the situation at some point, we're not bringing people the best gift that we can possibly bring them. Because all of those things are great, and, I, and they're absolutely sharing the love of, of Jesus. But if we really want to make an impact and a change, at some point, you know, we have to bring the truth of the gospel into the situation. <coughs> My dad was a big fan of a, a TV evangelist called T.L. Osborne. I don't know if anybody knows of him, but my dad used to talk about him all the time, and I haven't thought about this guy for a long time, but I was deer hunting with a guy last year, and he said, yeah, I, I fell under his ministry. I was under him for a long time, <clears throat> and one thing he would say all the time is the only difference between us and them is that we know something they don't know, and, and that's really the only thing that separates us from Hamas, from uh, whoever in your mind is the enemy, who is the problem, um, and ultimately it just comes down to we know something that they don't know. So we need to learn how to bring the best that we can bring people, uh, which is the gospel. I want to read Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That is the good news. That is what we need to be sharing. And to which I'll say, we need to understand that simply being a good witness and living good lives is not enough. This is not a complete ministry strategy 
Um, I meet so many people that, well, I just try to be a good example, and I, you know, try to show everybody, you know, what Christ would do all the time, okay? We'll talk about why that's important, but what it's not, it's not bringing people the best that we have, which is the gospel. Jesus used the Word of God. So, you know, the problem is you're not Jesus. Sorry, you're going to screw up. You're going to do something that, that doesn't represent Christ. And what they need to know, um, they need to understand that we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespassing according to his riches and grace. That's the message that, that people need to understand. <coughs> and now as we look at the breastplate of righteousness, though, this becomes very important because even though your witnessing strategy shouldn't be, well, I'm just going to be a good witness and I'm just going to live such a great life that everybody's going to want to be a Christian, okay? At the same time, living our lives, um, how we do that really does matter because what we're talking about is credibility. Credibility is very important if you want to have influence in people's lives. If you don't care about other people and you don't want to have influence in their lives, I think you have to go back and, and ask if you have the heart of God towards these people, which is, which is what Paul is talking about and who he's addressing, right? But for those of us that can put on the helmet of salvation and see other people with compassion, now we have to look at influence, do we have the influence? Do we have a platform for ministry? I want to read 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, and ultimately, it's going to bring glory to God. <clears throat> even when they seek to, to discredit you, even when they seek to speak evil against you, they should be able to look at your lives and see something is different about this person, that we have been transformed by the gospel, that we do have a, a Romans 12:2 experience where, you know, we're not conformed to the patterns of this world, but we've been transformed, right? It's not about being perfect. God is not looking for perfect people, but people should be able to see that something about you demonstrates that, that Christ is. Um, Christ is Lord of your life, right? Because the reality is, is that credibility leads to trust. And if you talk to, I believe, if you talk to anybody that's in ministry and you say, how did you get where you are? I think in most cases, what it's really going to come down to is faithfulness. That you have to be faithful if you want to be credible Credibility leads to trust. Trust should lead to truth. What is, what is the truth? Um, you know, the truth is the belt of truth. The truth is the gospel. That's what we should be sharing as we're seen to be credible. And then we look at the, the sword, the Bible, the spoken word of God. Um, you know, this is the offense. We need to have an offensive plan. We need to understand the word because I think so much of putting on the armor of God, we can make this a very big, mysterious, spiritual thing. 
But really, as I read it and I try to understand it, what I really think what we're doing when we put on the armor of God is, is we're gaining perspective. We're gaining God's perspective on what the truth is. What's the truth of our own salvation as we look and judge other people? What's the truth of what the gospel says about what is the best thing that we can actually bring people, which is what Christ has done for us um, on the cross. And then the word in general, understanding the word, being able to speak what the Bible says into a situation accurately is really just putting God's perspective out there for everybody and choosing to believe what the Bible says. So, we have to know the Word. We have to study the Word. The Word can be used and applied in ways that it was never meant to be implied. How many of you guys have ever had anybody quote a scripture at you that just didn't apply at the moment? (laughs) I mean, Jesus had this happen to him, right? Because Satan takes him way up on the top of the, the wall overlooking the temple and basically says, jump off right, when he's being tempted. And I was just in Israel. I was there. I'm looking at where this, in theory, happened, I think, on the southwest corner. And it's pretty high. I mean, I, if you were up there, it's pretty high. I mean, anybody that jumps is certain death. <clears throat> and Satan is saying, he's actually quote, quoting scripture. Just jump off. And if you do, you know, the angels will lift you up. They won't even let you stub your toe and, and everybody is at the temple right now. They're all going to see that, that you are the son of God, and everybody's going to worship you, basically. And apparently this was a, a temptation, you know, for Jesus. <coughs> but it was not, uh, not the path that, that God had for him, which was to go and die on the cross and, and do all of these things. And so Jesus actually quotes Scripture back at him, and says, you know, don't test the Lord your God, right? So understanding Scripture becomes very important if we're going to use it as a weapon to speak truth and life uh, into a situation. And then I get down to the shoes of the gospel peace. Shoes. Like, I don't know. It, how many of you heard about this stuff in Sunday school? And I'm thinking... I'm thinking, yeah, the sword, the shield, that's kind of cool. But who cares about shoes, right? I mean, where does this fit in? Why is this important? And strangely, I've come to believe, maybe not strangely, that this is the, one of the most critical pieces uh, of armor that we need to think about and we need to put on um, because... What I, what I believe here is, is a readiness for the gospel, or we could say a gospel focus in the middle of situations. Having that is so important because it's so easy to make our mission about something other than the gospel. Whether that is, you know, uh, our next vacation or entertainment that's coming up, or a political season that's, that's coming up, we can very easily take our eyes off the gospel and not be focused on what's the most important thing we can do? What's the best gift we can bring people? Bringing the truth of the gospel 
through his word into a situation, presenting people with uh, what Jesus has done for them on the cross, this should be our focus. And yet oftentimes we get focused on something completely different in the middle of things. And so I'll, I'll probably step on some toes here as I'm talking about shoes, but I'm just going to tell a little bit of my story as it relates to, to politics. <laughs> Everybody's still sitting down, so nobody's leaving yet. But for me, I used to have a focus on politics. It was a big deal for me. I would follow things. I would want to know what's going on. And that was my focus over the gospel. My, my, cert, my focus certainly wasn't, what does God want to accomplish in the middle of all this? And how do I bring the presence of God into what's going on in the world today or at work or wherever I'm at? I was focused on politics a lot. <clears throat> and I'm not going to tell you politics are wrong. I'm not going to tell you elections don't matter. I'm not going to tell you any of those things. But I'm just telling you in my life what it produced for me. And so, as I told you, my background, I have a background in, in martial arts and grappling and in judo. And when you're fighting somebody and you're grappling with somebody, I can tell almost instantly if you're an experienced grappler. I can tell, like, right away. Because an experienced grappler will never waste any time or energy on something that's inefficient and not working. So if I, go, if I go to put a choke on somebody and, and they're doing something to defend that, right? As an experienced grappler, I can recognize I am wasting my energy. I am putting a lot of time, energy, and focus on something that's not going to produce anything that I want. So an experienced grappler will just let it go and transition to something else. But for me, with politics... I was putting a lot of time and focus and energy into something that really wasn't producing anything effective in my life. It was producing uh, me being cold to people. It was producing me, maybe even, I can't say hate as a Christian, but like disliking people. And it was not providing me with any type of influence where I'm doing anything positive um, and, and certainly ministry wasn't occurring towards other people. So what God had to show me was that <clears throat> even though politics may matter, for me, from an efficiency standpoint, what do I want to pour my energy into? I want to pour my energy into the shoes of the gospel peace and be focused on things that are, are relevant to the gospel. And this is how distinctive this can be, even as I work with people serving overseas, we were in Ukraine, again, I've been there three times. The first time I went was like six days after the Russians invaded. And I went to all the border crossings from uh, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania. We were looking at about three million women and children that had come over at that time. And we're trying to do needs assessments for about 81 different uh, missions organizations to help them figure out okay, they have warm clothes, they don't need warm clothes, um, but they may need somebody to show up here and bring food or do something like that, or there's a security issue here. So we were going around doing this type of uh, an assessment, and I met a, a pastor. He's been a pastor in Ukraine for many, many years, 
an American citizen who's married to Ukrainian, and he's sitting there talking to me, and at that time, all the women and children were leaving. The men weren't allowed to go because somewhere between like 16 and 60, military age, something like that, they had to stay in the country. But some of them were sneaking out. And this, this pastor was so angry after six days of this war, he looks at me and says, every Ukrainian male that leaves should be brought back to the country and executed. He was angry. And what struck me about that so much was I was also at the same time working with a local church in Lviv. In this church, Lviv is an area that they thought the Russians were going to get to. The Russians never got to it. But at the time, Russia was dropping bombs heavily on, on Kiev, on the capital. So this church sat and said, okay, we know what it's like to be a church on a normal day in Ukraine. But what does it mean to be disciples of Christ? What does it mean to be followers of Christ in the midst of everything that's going on right now? And what they did, keeping their their focus and readiness towards the gospel is, is they said, okay, let's drive around the clock. Let's drive vans, and we're going to drive all the way to Kiev, which is like eight-hour drive, and we're going to find people that are hiding in bomb shelters, women and children, and we're going to drive them back to Lviv to get them to the border. We're going to house them for the night, and in the middle of this drive and in the middle of housing them, we're going to share the gospel. That was their heart. That was their focus. That was their ministry. And and I'm contrasting this with this pastor that's saying we should execute all of these people. How do we keep our heart and focus on the gospel in the middle of everything that's going on? <clears throat> Which, at the same time, I received a phone call from this church, like, hey, how do we support something where, you know, Christ is being lifted up in the middle of all this tragedy? Can you help us find somebody that's, that's doing this? That's a, that's a gospel focus. Uh, I want to look at 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's the readiness of the gospel. And... When I was in Israel, it's very normal if there's a crisis for people to come in and and help. But for whatever reason, uh, when I'm talking to the Israelis, they're shocked that I came in after October 7th because everybody's trying to to leave. And the idea of coming in and putting yourself in that situation was just, why are you here? Why would you come in in the middle of of all of this. And I'm talking about a lady I met on the elevator in my hotel, uh, the person I'm renting a car from. These are the people that are like, why are you here? What are you doing, right? That is an opportunity to share the hope that is in you, right? So I'm sharing. We're Christians. We're followers of Christ. 
you know, the Bible teaches that everybody has the same intrinsic value. That means that you matter. You matter as much as me. So if you're in trouble, we want to be here. We want to be here with you to help you. They're breaking down in tears that the love of God that, that we have has driven us with compassion to come and help. <clears throat> so much of ministry is helping people that are in crisis, right? I mean, that happens locally. That, that is an opportunity to share the hope, and we need to be ready <clears throat> to do that. You know, I, I read multiple books on what's going on in Israel. If you want to have a conversation about all the nuances of, you know, the, the Israeli-Arab conflict and all the history and all the stuff, and it, and it can become political, whatever we're talking about, whether that's Ukraine or Israel or wherever it is, or COVID or, or whatever it is, I've, I've done all that reading on Israel, but, you know, I don't need to read any of that to understand what Christ wants to do in these situations. I can, I can take this and understand, okay, in the midst of all of this, how do we lift up the name of Jesus? How do we bring the gospel into this situation? That should be our focus with the shoes of the gospel peace. So now we look at the shield of faith. And this becomes uh, very important. I'm reminded of just being at the Iron Dome, which is really just a great uh, analogy of this shield of faith, right? Because literally you have Hamas launching these fiery darts of these rockets that they have made themselves at the civilian population uh, where I'm at in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. And you have this defense system that's set up to come up and intercept these missiles, right? <clears throat> I think we had nine, nine interceptions, you know, while we were there. So it it's, stands out, right, in your head. But what it stands out is, is that the shield of faith is for defense, right? We have to have resiliency because this is a spiritual battle. And in a battle, I mean, we could, we could just label like ministry with like trauma. Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Who wants to be, in, who wants to be involved in ministry? Trauma, <laughs> right? Because it's a battle. And in that, you're not going to survive if you don't uh, have deep faith. In other words, what is the purpose in my suffering? What is the purpose in me giving up my time, finances, in uh, committing to doing ministry, investing in other people? What if I take somebody who's, you know, hostile towards me at work, and I decide, oh, I'm going to choose to see them with the love of God. Well, it's a lot easier just to dislike them and to, to gossip about them like everybody else. <clears throat> but I'm going to choose to try to invest in them, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to get into the Word, and I'm going to do all this stuff. That takes a lot of work, and it can be painful, and you're exposing yourself to, to risk in some ways. <clears throat> And you need to, you know, are we really bringing people the best thing that we can bring them? 
Because if we don't have that deep in our belief system, we're, we're going to falter in this. You know, is what I'm doing really, does it really matter? Do I really believe what I'm saying? Do I believe that the gospel uh, does what it says it's going to do? Has it changed my life, right? Having that deep-seated uh, understanding is going to help us endure in the middle of everything. In some cases, a lot of this ministry is occurring where people are dying. I mean, we can look at the news. People are dying all over the world, right? The world is very dangerous, so don't leave home. But you're statistically most likely to die, you know, within 10 minutes of your, of your house. So maybe it's safer that you go very, very far away, right? But the reality is, is people are dying. You know, they're, they're spiritually dying all around us. They're physically dying in mass around the world. Bringing the gospel is, is important. I look at Matthew 28, or 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those that killed the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And I'm thinking of, I went to India this year, uh, and I did a couple trainings in India. But one of the trainings I was doing was in Calcutta, where I'm training 20 uh, pastors and church staff. And if you don't know about the persecution, the religious persecution in India, it's pretty strong. And we help ministries, we help all kinds of ministries. We help ministries that are uh, faith-based humanitarian workers. We help church planning ministries, Bible translations, um, medical missions, everything in between. And a lot of these people are facing threats <clears throat> that are they're, they're just in a war zone. They're trying to do ministry in a war zone. This is not a persecution issue, but, I mean, a rocket will kill you either way. Even though they're not being targeted for their faith, they're still at a threat, whether that's being uh, <clears throat> shot in a robbery in Peru or kidnapped in Haiti. Many of these things are very real. It's very important that we work with them, but they're not persecution issues. Um, but when I can, I really do enjoy interacting with and helping the persecuted church. And India is one of those places. So we're there doing a training. And a lot of times the threat is Hindu mobs, if it's not the government. <coughs> so I'm doing a training. And I'm talking about hyperarousal. And hyperarousal is like, what happens to your body under an extreme amount of stress? You know, you, your heart rate goes up, your hands start shaking, you start experiencing this bullet point list of things. And part of why we're helping explain this is because when this happens to them, we don't want them to interpret this necessarily as the spirit of fear, where they're, they're not in faith. Some of this is just how God designed you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Under a certain amount of stress, your body's going to have a reaction. So we're sharing this to prepare them because there's a lot of shame that can go with having that experience, and they need to understand so I said, does anybody want to come up and tell a story on how this has happened to you? That's an opportunity to be vulnerable. You know what we're not good at with each other as Christians? We, we tend to tighten up our armor around each other, and we're not vulnerable. We need to be vulnerable with each other. This guy comes up. He's a, a big, burly, like really strong farmer pastor guy. I shook his hand earlier, and I was like, wow, this guy is solid right? I was impressed. And he gets up, and he shares how he was going to go share the gospel, 
at this village. And he got stopped on his motorcycle by these Hindus who said, we know what you're doing. And if you, if you continue on with your journey, when you come back, you're going to pay a price for it. You know, so he, he goes and he says, I was so scared that I was doing my ministry playing the guitar. And he said, I couldn't even think to the words, couldn't think of the words to the song that I needed to sing. And he actually begins crying in front of us as he's, you know, reliving this, you know, fear that was inside of him. And he said, I did my ministry when I came back. They grabbed me. And he said, they beat me. They punched me. They kicked me. They beat me for a long time. And he said, at some point, I crawled to my motorcycle. It wouldn't start. They had apparently damaged that also. So he's like, I walked home. This is a guy still doing ministry. That's resilient. That's faith. You have to have that if you're going to continue on. I had another lady come up right after that. I have a story. And she was uh, very fluent in, in English and Hindi, maybe some other languages. She had a very high status and a lot of respect as, as a female in a very male-dominated culture as someone who does ministry. And she says, I was doing ministry in this area. And when I left, my friends called me and said, don't come back. If you come back, they said they're going to hang you in the trees like they did the other Christians. So she said, I became very afraid, and I, and I prayed about it, and I felt like God said, you need to go back. <clears throat> so she says, she tells her husband, her husband says, I will go, I will protect you. She said, don't, don't go. You're, there's, a, there's too many of them. There's nothing you're going to be able to do. You'll just be killed. Just let me go. So she went, and she said they grabbed her, put her in a chair, and she said, they kept me in that chair for five hours. And she said, they kept coming at me like they were going to hit me, but I feel like God was holding them back, and they weren't able to do anything to me. And she said, after five hours, somebody came along and was saying, what are you doing to this girl? This is not right. And they became distracted, and I just got up and walked away. So I see this story of someone who was beaten, and I see a story of someone who was protected. <clears throat> and I think this is important to bring up when we look at faith because sometimes we just think, well, God loves me, so nothing bad will happen to me. And, and if that is what your faith is completely centered on, you're probably not prepared to do ministry. We need to look at something like Job thirteen fifteen. you know, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Where is the place for that in your faith? So we need to have a deep faith because ultimately we are all, we all have this race to run. All of us that are disciples, we all need to learn to put on the full armor of God and we need to be able to go out and do ministry. I don't care if you're, you're, you're a girl with a baby in Oklahoma that's dealing with, with rocket strikes from Hamas or you're church staff in India and you're dealing with mobs or you're a pastor here. Um, there, there's all types of different ways we can serve. I was training a bunch of rice farmers from Burma, and I'm doing all this training on what to do if there's a landmine and what to do if you go through a government checkpoint, what to have on your phone so that you're not arrested and tortured and, and all of this. 
And what they got out of it, they came the next day and they said, what we got out of your training was you're a cop and somehow you found a way to take what you have and used it for ministry. And they said, we're just rice farmers. We have nothing. And we really haven't felt like there's any way we can do effective ministry. But, but we realize now that, that there is a ministry that we can do with what we have. And so all of us have been given, you know, what we have to do ministry with. And we all need to decide, you know, do we want to have a focus on the gospel? Um, do we have the heart that God has for people? And the question I would ask is, is, you know, how do we put on that, that next piece of armor? And how do we get up every day and, and put this on? And for some of us, it may be a big step. Hey, I need to commit more to ministry. I need to do something big <clears throat> that God's calling me to do. I'm reminded of uh, the last story I want to tell, and I just did a training in Australia uh, a few weeks ago. I'm training a bunch of bush pilots that fly into like Papua New Guinea and do this work. <clears throat> but on my way out, I'm riding next to this guy on a plane, and he's an Australian guy, and these are like, these are manly dudes. They really are. Most of them. I mean, I was like, don't want to mess with them. And anyways, this guy's sitting next to me, next to his wife. And he's just so happy to meet an American cop, and he's talking to me, and he wants to hear all these stories and wants to know about, <clears throat> you know, all this political stuff. And I'm also telling him about what I do. And there's a point in there where I'm trying to decide, do I share that I do everything for the gospel, that I'm helping the gospel advance around the world? You know, because Australia, a lot of secularism, a lot of non-believers, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to share it. <clears throat> so I share with him why we do what we do, talk about the gospel. He kind of stiffens up like that. And I was like, ah, well, it is what it is, right? So we put in our earbuds, and then a couple hours later, we take them off, we're landing, and he just tells me out of the blue, he says, you know, I have 20-year-old daughters. They're both sitting over there on the other side of the plane. He said, you know, I grew up, my grandma took me to church, and she made sure that I was, you know, understood the gospel, and she was faithful in that. And he said, I haven't done that with my daughters. He said, they believe what they believe, you know, the public school system and science, and because I just really haven't pushed back on it. You could see the regret that he had been processing. So I think for some of us, you know, it may just be we need to put on this armor of God and we need to do battle in our own house. And we need to bring the truth of the gospel and start fighting some of, uh, you know, the evil that is very close, right? So let's all stand. The Bible says to stand firm. And I'm going to pray for us that uh, we can learn how to do this a little bit better. So, Lord, one of the things these rice farmers told me was, as you go, we'll pray for you and you pray for us. And I think that's beautiful because as I'm back here in Missouri, a lot of people want to pray for us, but, but I want to pray for you guys here. And Lord, I just thank you for this congregation. I thank you for this, this people.
that are here, Lord. These are disciples of Christ. These are those who are, who are faithful and have a heart to be faithful for, for what you want, Lord, and to bring your kingdom and your truth and your word into these situations. And I pray that we can study your word and look at the armor of God and learn how to put on this helmet of salvation so that we can go from a place of pride to humility and a place of being apathetic towards love for people, Lord. And that we can bring your perspective and your truth of of Scripture into these situations as we stay focused on the gospel. We don't get involved with distractions or things that will divide us, but we, we focus on what is most important, Lord, bringing the very best that we can in our families, at our work, and everything that we do, which is your grace and your truth. And Lord, I pray that everybody will be strengthened in their faith, Lord, that the work that they do is important. And it changes lives and it's impactful, Lord. And I pray for all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.